0: Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I, uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue! I hated the book, alright? I have no idea what it's about and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read
1: 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed.
2: Who dares follow Miss
1: Kelly's lucid analysis?
3: It's required reading.
1: With Tom and Stella.
3: Episode number 83, Carrie by Stephen King. This episode is brought to you by Teenage Softies. It's the
2: night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White, the girl no one likes. Oh, all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother.
0: Help the sinny woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her.
2: The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate
0: hard enough, I can move things.
2: But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie.
1: If you don't have a date for the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me?
2: She's with the best looking boy in the senior class.
0: He's trying to trick me, again.
2: She'll be voted queen of the prom.
0: You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore.
2: For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> a new film by Brian De Palma based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie.
3: Hello and welcome to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we take a thorough look at one piece of literature. It could be spooky. It could not be spooky. We've both read it, of course, and then we determine whether it's worthy of its reputation, whether that's bloody or not, and whether it's required reading. I'm Stella leading us through <laughs> oh, a prom night to remember. And with me is senior prom king himself, Mr. Tom panarese
1: Plug it up, plug it up, plug <laughs> that, it up, plug it up, plug it up. That was nuts.
3: Up. That was nuts. And then in the film. Who was it? Sue just like wrenches the machine. She
1: opens the, the cover from the of, walls. Uh, like it of, should
3: not cut off that easy. But yeah.
1: Of, although I don't, I don't know if, if you remember going to a public high school. Those facilities were ever never really maintained very well. So the 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 lids were always falling off the toilet paper and paper towel holders all the oh, time. <laughs> yeah, so I guess <laughs> so they're pretty reasonable. easy to come off there.
3: <laughs> nuts, nuts. Well, yes. here we are. We're in spooky season. Uh, we're. we're recording on a day that I didn't think we were going to record on. I woke up and realized what today was, the anniversary of which. And also the feeling is not very fall, but we're trying to get into it. But there. uh yeah, overall, how has your fall going leading into the spooky season been?
1: So far, pretty good I mean, work's been pretty good. I've had some personal things going on I won't really get into that have been very tough. But overall I think things are starting to calm down a little bit it's I'm looking forward to the fall of the spooky season because that's when if the weather cooperates and isn't 90 million degrees mm-hmm. out yep. I really can enjoy it and I'm trying to look forward to having those things to look forward to because it's been a summer was a little rough between people getting sick and yeah. a lot of different things even though I had a very relaxing beach vacation at the end of August at the beginning of August but you know yeah
3: I mean we've dealt with high heat indexes Ugh. and heat advisories last week Your thunderstorm watches I know it's not yeah and you, whenever there's rain I'm like please make this drop the temperature and maybe there's an end in sight I don't know but then the weird thing is like I am I have like a second job at Michaels and so in August we were putting <laughs> Halloween stuff out and I go back this past week, and now Christmas stuff is, and so it's very weird to work in that atmosphere and then come out and, like, suffocate on the heat. Uh, so I very much am, yeah, looking for the crisp fall weather, and, I mean, pumpkin spice stuff has already started coming out, which is great, but, um, yeah, and I know that you like to go to Carter's Mountain with your family, too, but it's really only special, I think, when it's nice temperatures.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Michael's must reek of potpourri around the late fall season. Like, I can't, there are times where I have to literally, I'm glad masking came into being over the last few years because there are times where I have to go into Michael's wearing a mask because it sets off my allergies.
4: Yes. Um,
1: The only other place that will do that is like a thrift store. Yeah, because yeah. dust and mildew and stuff will set off my allergies. But like potpourri sometimes, and, and can't like I can't go into like Yankee Candle, you, you know. Yeah, yeah I intense. can't. Yeah, so it's it's reek of cinnamon I think
3: point. I've gotten used to it, but yeah, I used to make that joke to my mother that I, I would go into Michael's if I had to and have like an allergic reaction because of how intense it is. I think I've gotten used to it, I guess. And then there are also just certain sections that I know I'm going to get hit with something and some things are more pungent than others and i like walk away i'm like my gosh that was powerful but (laughs) yes that is it's very interesting but you know incense was there incense no but there were candles at least in the film version of this so we can uh transition in that sort of way because we're going to be talking about carrie Carrie is a book that I knew Tom had read, Tom speaks well of it, Mm -hmm. and I feel like we've come back to Stephen King several times, and so I thought, well, it's time to just pull the trigger on Carrie, and we've dealt with religion on this show, and periods, Mm -hmm. so it just seemed in line with what we do here (laughs) on Required Reading. But what is your – because I feel like I know some of it. Yeah. Uh, what's your history with this book?
1: I'm probably not the only person in my generation to say this, but my history with the book starts with the film from 1976. Um, I first heard of it by – again, how was I able to watch this movie when I was this young? <laughs> I must have been 10. Eleven. It was on, it was in, I saw the edited for television version because I was home on a weekend afternoon or a summer afternoon or something and WPIX 11 was running it on TV. And I, I remember bits and pieces of seeing it that first time. I certainly remember some of the scenes where she was thrown into the closet in the, in the kitchen. I remember the scene where she kills uh, John Travolta and Nancy Allen by having the car flip over oh, and explode yeah. um and i remember telling my dad i was watching this movie and he didn't big it. i was like oh yeah it's a good movie so i must have been a little bit older than like eight or nine um but yeah and, and i saw it a couple of times after that actually it was years before i saw the uncensored version of the movie i always seemed to catch it on television and as i was and we'll get it well, we we're going to talk about the movie a little bit after we talk about yeah. the book um i first read the book in my senior year of college, um, it was not assigned to me or anything. I think I just happened to be at a bookstore, a campus bookstore or borders or Walden books or something and came across it. And, and it was in like, you know, a five ninety five mass market paperback, you know, like the, you know, the ones you tend to buy. And I was like, I've never read this. Oh, I've heard really good things about this or whatever. And I picked it up and I remember reading it the spring of my my senior year because it was uh, that was would have been the spring of ninety nine, and just devouring it and being like blown away by it and then. Um, this is the second time I've read it. I hadn't read it since 1999 and uh, this I'd, I was reading I did I don't know what happened in my original copy either somebody borrowed it and never returned it or it got lost <laughs> That's in a life story. yeah or it got lost in a or in, a, in the shuffle of a movie it got given away or whatever so I went and bought um, I think the same copy you had for this which is it's a sort of purplish cover with a rose okay. that has a skull in the yeah. middle of it. With a, it's a carnation. I think mm-hmm. it's on the roof. Um, so it's it's nice, nice. Um, the slightly bigger paperback size, which I tend to prefer. So um, I have my own copy. I went to Barnes and Noble and got it, and uh, and yeah. So, uh, but I've seen the movie a few times since, and did watch it the other night too. So we'll. I know I know we are going to get to the movie, but after we have our book discussion,
3: because yes. I
1: don't think you can really discuss one without discussing the other. I think you have to bring up the De Palma film.
3: So. yeah which i will have a question for you <laughs> sure I think with with the film i mean it's something yeah so i recently okay. watched the film with harry and so we had some talks and i was like <laughs> i have some questions to ask tom about oh, this young harry. so i also in my i told harry like tom's gonna laugh at me when i talk about my history Well oh, they're history... all gonna laugh at
1: you They're all going to laugh at you.
3: They probably are. They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. Yes, thank you, Mama. My history is carried to the rage.
1: I've (laughs) seen that movie, and I have a little bit of an anecdote about that movie, but I'll save it for later.
3: Okay, I can't wait. I don't know... Why? Okay, but it was on, you know, if I think about network TV, and you compare USA to TNT, I always thought USA was like the racier of the two. I think so. Yeah, and USA would have... These sorts of films, uh, I feel like I watched C- a Cruel Intentions* for the first time on USA, mm, yeah. and *Carrie to the Rage* came on, and I watched. I feel like I've watched that film a couple times. Yeah, uh, of course, edited. I don't know that I've ever watched it in, unedited, but that was like my first experience. I think I've known about Carrie for a long time maybe a little bit about the period but definitely like the pig's blood and the prom so I knew like the big Mm -hmm. beats I think watching any sort of horror thing during like AMC the Halloween fest or whatever they call it or doing any retrospectives of course Carrie's gonna come up Cissy Spacek you know being a great actress and she lives around us Um, I've seen her You've seen her?
1: She crossed in front of my car once on the downtown wall. I was going to the Water Street <laughs> parking garage. Oh,
3: my And this my woman,
1: gosh. I stopped in my car because this woman about to cross the street. She waved at me, said thank you. I waved back. And then she went into whatever store she was going into. And I'm driving away. I went, holy crap, that was Sissy Space. <laughs> Sissy,
3: yeah. One of my colleagues was familiar with her because of horses, and she had seen her, I guess, incognito at Whole Foods, and she's just like, hey, sissy. Like, it's so weird to hear, like, someone would just call her, you know, sissy. But anyways, so yeah, I have known about this, uh, decided to you know, check out this book. A similar experience, I think, to Pet Cemetery, but we'll, we'll get to that. But in getting this particular cover, which it is a really beautiful cover, it's got this violet tone to it in the carnation but there's a skull there the woman at the library checking me out she's like oh wow that's a really lovely cover and then like see the sees the skull you know there and so I was joking that yeah it gives you a sense of like reassurance that everything's going to be okay until you open up (laughs) to page one and she starts laughing and uh, I told her well hopefully you'll see me again after this uh so this is my first experience reading it And then, yes, on Saturday, I watched it for the first time, and um, often I will drag Harry into my escapades, and so I made him watch the period film with me.
1: This is interesting. I don't think I've ever encountered somebody who didn't have some sort of history with seeing the film. Yeah. Like, even just seeing – I mean, like you mentioned with having seen the sequel, obviously, or seeing, like, you know, I guess like those – Horror clip shows or countdown shows and stuff, and and somebody would bring up this the the film because it is an iconic film. Yeah. But I, I think this is the first time that I have talked to somebody who doesn't have some sort of specific memory of like, oh yeah, I know that movie, I've seen that movie. Um Not everybody I know has read the book though. Yeah. Which is interesting. Nobody really goes out and reads the uh, source material, and it's pretty easy to come by. It's not like Jaws. Jaws is kind of hard to find sometimes.
3: Yeah, and it's so. pretty small i would get, say compared to for a stephen other king novel novels. this is yeah.
1: short yes it's uh so, our copy yeah. is about 300 and 305 pages that is a uh, short stephen king novel
3: yeah yeah i'm not sure what you know maybe i didn't have much interest in watching the film i don't know if i was associating it with the exorcist which i personally find to be one of the most disturbing horror films that i've ever seen and i'll never see it again
1: <laughs> my wife thinks it's a boring movie
3: Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's like... I think it's my relationship with religion that it makes Mm. it really...
1: I own it. I've only ever watched it like once or twice.
3: Yeah. Once or twice. I don't know how you manage that. Uh, but anyways, I, yeah, I just have a lot of anxiety when mm. it comes to that. So I, I don't know it. if I was like associating the two and maybe didn't have anything. But but I feel like my mom has, you know, she knows about Carrie, you know, the 70s and everything. So, mm-hmm. but we'll, yeah, we will definitely talk about that because I'd like to hear your feedback on that. Uh, yep. Are we good to move on? To we are context? good. Yes. Okay. So, of course, this is the third book. Of Stephen King that we've done? Yes. We did Green, we did Green Mile, Mile and then Pet Sematary, Pet Sematary and then this? Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe so. Yes. And I will say that I was going back and forth between Carrie and Salem's Lot, but I went with this one. So at some oh. future time, we'll do Salem's Lot. That's on my list. Yeah. So let's see here. By the time of writing Carrie, and this comes from the Wikipedia, King lived in a trailer in Herman, Maine, with his wife, Tabitha, and two children. He had a job teaching English at Hamden Academy and wrote short stories for men's magazines such as Cavalier. Carrie was originally a short story intended for Cavalier, and King started conceptualizing the story after a friend suggested writing a story about a female character. The basis of the story was King imagining a scene of a girl menstruating for the first time in the shower, similar to the opening scene of Carrie and an article from Life about telekinesis. As he wrote the opening shower scene, King experienced discomfort due to not being female and not knowing how he would react to the scene if he were female. He also felt apathy toward Carrie when writing the scene. After three pages, King eventually threw away the manuscript of the story. The next day, Tabitha retrieved the pages from the trash and convinced King to continue writing the story with input from her. King was ultimately able to emotionally connect to Carrie through the influence of two girls he knew. One was constantly abused at school due to her family's poverty, forcing her to wear only one outfit to school. The other was a timid girl from a devoutly religious family. King believed Carey would not be successful, thinking it would not be marketable in any genre or to any audience. He also found it to be a, quote, waste of time and found no point in sending out what he perceived as a failed story. King only continued writing it in order to please his wife and because he was unable to think of anything else to write. When King finished the first draft... Carry was a 98-page long novella that he detested. In December of 1972, King decided to rewrite Carry and strive for it to become novel length. He wrote in fabricated documents that were purported to be from periodicals such as Esquire and Reader's Digest, imitating their style accordingly, a process that King found entertaining. After Carrie was accepted by the publisher Doubleday, King revised the novel with editor and friend Bill Thompson. The original ending of Carrie had Carrie growing demon horns and destroying an airplane thousands of miles above her. Thompson convinced King to rewrite the ending to be more subtle. Yeah, that was a bit too much there.
1: Thank God for an editor.
3: <laughs> Thanks, That Thanks. sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof uh reception the hardback edition of carrie sold modestly it was not a bestseller sources of the number of sales for the hardback edition vary ranging from 13,000 copies to 17,000 in contrast, the paperback edition sold exceedingly well. In its first year, the edition sold 1 million copies. The sales were bolstered by the 1976 film adaptation, totaling 4 million sales. Carey became a New York Times bestseller, debuting on the list in December 76, and remaining on it for 14 weeks, peaking at number 3. Carey received generally positive reviews and has become a fan favorite. Various critics considered it an impressive literary debut newgate calendar of the new york times stated that despite being a debut novel quote king writes with the kind of surety normally associated only with veteran writers end quote the daily times advocates ina bonds considers the novel and quote admirable achievement for a first-time novel and kirkus reviews believes that the debut novel is handled well by king with little nonsense Bob Comier from the Daily Sentinel and Leo Minster Enterprise believes that the novel could have failed because of the subject matter, but didn't, and thus finds King to be, quote, no ordinary writer. Various critics wrote that the plot will scare readers, with Library Journal declaring the novel a terrifying treat for both horror and parapsychology fans. And that was a quote. We've got Mary of the San Francisco Examiner, uh, saying that Carrie goes far beyond the usual limitations of the horror genre to deliver a message about humanity. Uh, Publishers Weekly praised the novel for a sympathetic portrayal of Carrie, but Bookless stated that reading the novel required a willing suspension of belief and taste. Retrospectively, Carrie has received appraisal Michael R. Collins and Adam Neville declare that the plot holds up decades after publication, which is certainly something that we can discuss. Collins uh, attributed it to focus and conciseness, and Neville attributed it to the characterization and structure. I feel like I I could keep going on with all of this, um, but it's generally, it's mostly positive, I would say. Legacy-wise, Carrie launched King's career as an author. The $200,000 that King received when Carrie was accepted for mass-market publication allowed King to quit his job as a teacher and become a full-time author. I think that's Tom's dream. The novel established King as a horror writer that wrote about the supernatural, the dark, and the bizarre. Following Carey's publication, King underwent a six-month period of prolific writing. During this period, he wrote Rough Dress for Blaze and Salem's Lot, the latter of which became his second published novel, being published in 1975. Both Carey and its 76 film adaptation brought King into the mainstream, and he has since become one of the most successful authors in the modern era, with his novels consistently becoming bestsellers. For decades prior to the 1970s, horror literature had not been in the mainstream. The last novel to reach the Publishers Weekly bestseller list was Rebecca. That's interesting. I wonder if we consider that horror, but we'll we'll move on because we did cover that gothic. Uh, I yeah, like yeah, a gothic. I so, so, it's, so it's gothic horror. Yeah, it,
1: it kind of crosses over with the Edgar Allan Poe variety of yeah. horror, and, and it had it was a lot to the so it's horror adjacent or yeah. That's
3: interesting, 40, it took 30 years for another horror novel to reach,
1: yeah. Yeah, because there's a couple of ones like by Shirley, there's like a Shirley Jackson novel in there, The Haunting of Hill House or something like that, that's like straight up horror novel, but I don't think it it was as a bestseller as uh, Rebecca or Carrie were. Yeah.
3: Carrie is credited as one of four novels to result in contemporary mainstream interest in horror literature. This interest was especially bolstered by their respective adaptations, allowing these novels to become bestsellers. Carrie has been influential among contemporary horror writers, with writers such as Smith and Sarah Lotz claiming to be influenced by Carrie, And author Jeff Vandermeer said of Carry's influence... Quote, Carrie changed the paradigm by announcing a very American form of horror that broke with the past. That process might have been ongoing anyway, but but a lot of horror and weird fiction was still in a kind of post- mr james slash lovecraft mode of parchment and shadowy alleys and half-seen horrors and here was king dropping buckets of blood over everything and making characterization both more relaxed and more contemporary but just as sophisticated if more naturalistic less styled end quote Carrie has received three film adaptations and a musical adaptation, the first directed by Brian De Palma and starring Sissy Spacek, Spacek, as we've talked about, in the title role, was released on November 3rd, 1976, to critical acclaim and commercial success, and is considered a noteworthy example of 1970s horror films. And a major factor to King's success. A sequel to the 76 film adaptation titled The Rage Carry Too was released in 1999 to mixed reviews. From May 12th through the 15th, 1988, a musical adaptation was performed five times by the Royal Shakespeare Company at the Virginia Theater before closing. It was a commercial and critical failure, losing more than $7 million, among the most expensive failures by Broadway theater. It's a nuts story. A 2002 film adaptation received negative reviews, and a 2013 film adaptation received mixed reviews. An off Broadway revival of the musical was performed from March 1st through April 8th, 2012. And the television series Riverdale aired an episode titled Chapter 31 A Night to Remember in 2018 based on the musical.
1: Yeah, in that episode, they're putting on Carrie the musical, and somebody gets murdered.
3: Oh, of course, they do
1: in the middle of the musical. If <laughs> I remember the episode, I watched that episode, and it was you know this is when the, the Riverdale was off the rails pretty quickly into its run, but it was getting even further and further off the rails. the shock. Yeah, I believe the 2013 film adaptation starred um, oh. Chloe Grace Moretz, and I will. Don't know who was in the two thousand two film adaptation. You know, Angela Bettis was the name of the. I don't, um, know, that. I know, that I don't I know who she. She is known for various. She was in Girl Interrupted as a small. It looks like she's done a lot of small roles in various um, various TV. And I think I want to say the two thousand two version was a was a TV movie too, but I'm not sure. All right.
3: Okay. Yes. Well. I was uninterested in seeing the remake. It might be on HBO Max. So Carrie is on HBO, or oh, it's just Max now. And Carrie to the Rage is on Max. Mm-hmm. So and the, maybe... the remake is on Max as well. Ooh, so it would be for free. I don't know. It doesn't seem as interesting as Pet Cemetery, the remake. Same. I don't know if it's worth my time.
1: Yeah, no, I, I had no I, I like Chloe Grace Mars, but I'm like I had no interest in
3: Yeah. Well, you love the first one so much.
1: I do love the first one, but like, I just I, I like her as an actress, but I don't think she's the right person to play that role because she always played these smart-ass girl roles. Oh, and girl. I don't see her playing somebody as naive as Carrie White because she was hit girl. And then she shows up on like 30 Rock, I think it was, L Fanning might have worked.
3: Well, the Uh, maybe L. I would almost go maybe Dakota over L because I do. I find L Fanning very beautiful, and I find Dakota Fanning beautiful in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, Dakota would be able to capture that the same way that Sissy Spacek did.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. We can get into the difference between. Uh, the way she is described in the novel yes, versus yeah. uh, versus Sissy Spacek in the... Yeah, because it is very different.
3: Yes. So. And then even in the novel, it transitions too with... Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, so I will let you get to the plot Sure, synopsis.
3: sure, yes. Lots to talk about, apparently. Tom's like itching. He's itching and raring to go. Okay, here we go. Plot synopsis is also from the Wikipedia Listen, friends. I've been lazy this entire show this entire i don't know run of our thing and now i'm just in the midst of writing my thesis so i'm going to continue to be lazy so thank you wikipedia okay here we go in 1979 chamberlain maine Carrietta Carrie White, is a 16-year-old girl ridiculed for her frumpy appearance and unusual religious beliefs, instilled by her despotic mother, Margaret. One day, Carrie has her first period while showering in the girls' locker room after physical education class. Carrie is terrified, having no understanding of menstruation, as her mother, who finds sexuality sinful, never taught her. While Carrie panics, her classmates, led by a wealthy, popular girl named Chris Hargensen, mock and throw tampons and sanitary napkins at her. The gym teacher, Rita Desjardins, has... that Which... They changed her name to Collins in the film, and I think it's because they didn't want to deal with that last name. But anyway. Well,
1: I always thought it was Desjardins because oh, it was really? French, but yeah, but that that might just be me.
3: Well. But either way, yes, it's colored... Miss Co-
1: Yeah, Betty Buckley plays Miss Collins. Yeah, yeah. So
3: the gym teacher, has Carrie compose herself and sends her home. I think she slaps her a couple times. On the way, Carrie practices her unusual ability to control objects from a distance. She recalls using this power when she was three to cause stones to fall from the sky. Once Carrie gets home, Margaret furiously accuses Carrie of sin and locks her in a closet. The next day, the gym teacher... Ms. D, we'll say, uh, reprimands the girls who bullied Carrie and gives them a week's detention. Chris refuses to comply and is punished with suspension and exclusion from the prom. And I will add that the gym teacher got a little physical with her. After her influential father fails to reinstate her, Chris decides to take revenge on Carrie sue snell which we're going to talk about another popular girl who bullied carrie in the locker room grows remorseful and asks her boyfriend tommy ross to invite carrie to the prom instead carrie is suspicious as she should be but accepts and begins sewing a prom dress meanwhile chris persuades her boyfriend billy nolan and his gang of greasers to gather two buckets of pig blood As she prepares to rig the prom queen election in Carrie's favor. The prom initially goes well for Carrie. Tommy's friends are welcoming and Tommy finds he is attracted to Carrie as a friend. That's interesting. It says as a friend. Could be something more. We don't know. Chris successfully rigs the election. And Carrie and Tommy are elected prom king and queen. At the moment of the coronation Chris from outside pulls the lever uh just like in all those Instagram things of wrong lever from outside dumps the pig blood onto Carrie's and Tommy's heads Tommy's knocked unconscious by one of the buckets and it says here he dies I don't think he technically dies until the electrocution
1: Yeah, I always thought that he died in the fire in the gym, not because of the concussion he got from the uh, pig's blood Yes,
3: yeah, I would agree. The sight of Carrie drenched in blood invokes laughter from the audience. Again, I have a question about that. Carrie leaves the building humiliated. Outside, Carrie remembers her telekinesis and decides to enact vengeance on her tormentors. Using her power, she seals the gym, which activates the sprinkler system. Inadvertently electrocuting many of her classmates and causing because of the band's equipment, and causing a fire that eventually ignites the school's fuel tanks, destroying the building in a massive explosion. Only a few lucky staff and students escape. Carrie, overwhelmed by rage, thwarts any incoming effort to fight the fire by opening the hydrants within the school's vicinity, then destroys gas stations and cuts power lines on her way home. She unleashes her telekinetic powers on the town, destroying several buildings and killing hundreds of people. As she does this, she broadcasts a telepathic message showing the townspeople that the carnage was caused by her. Carrie returns home to confront Margaret, who believes Carrie has been possessed by Satan and must be killed. Margaret tells her that her conception was a result of what may have been marital rape. She stabs Carrie in the shoulder with a kitchen knife. She was planning to do a little Abraham Isaac situation. And Carrie halts Margaret's uh, heart as she says a prayer. Mortally wounded, which I do wonder about that, Carrie makes her way to the roadhouse where she was conceived maybe (laughs) that was just a very interesting phrasing maybe she was conceived there we don't know she sees Chris and Billy leaving having been informed of the destruction by one of Billy's friends after Billy attempts to run Carrie over she takes control of his car and sends it into a wall killing Billy and Chris Sue who has been following Carrie's mental broadcast finds her collapsed in the parking lot bleeding from the knife wound The two have a brief telepathic conversation. Carrie had believed that Sue and Tommy had set up the prank, but realizes that they were innocent. And Carrie dies crying out for her mother. A state of emergency is declared, and the survivors make plans to relocate. Chamberlain foresees foresees desolation in spite of government assistance and rehabilitation for the worker districts, but... Yeah, people are going to be leaving. Ms. D and the school's principal blame themselves for the disaster. I don't know how they survived and resign from teaching. Sue publishes a memoir based on her experiences and a white committee report investigating paranormal abilities concludes that there will be others like Carrie. There's a whole section about DNA and generations and things like that. In, I guess we could call it an epilogue, it's like the very last thing. We have an Appalachian woman enthusiastically writing to her sister in her Appalachian dialect about her baby daughter's telekinetic powers and reminisces about their grandmother who had similar abilities. And that is Carrie. Okay, so question number one. Did you like it, Tom?
1: like you had to ask i I, I love this book yeah um i loved it when i first read it i read it again i was like dang this like i couldn't put it down and i just i really really love this book it's it's so good
3: i also enjoyed it so i was prepared i guess for i knew that there was abuse I didn't mm-hmm. realize it was this bad. So yeah. I was like trying to prepare myself. And also each time I go into King, I prepare myself for like really horrific aspects. Mm-hmm. And we saw that for Pet Cemetery, that was kind of the wrong attitude to go into it. <laughs> um, and I tried not to do it this time. But I think still I do want to talk about this horror genre. Yeah. Because I, I think it's somewhat defies that but that's just my my opinion but we'll talk about it but no I did enjoy it and I thought it was also interesting with how it was formatted which the way the Wikipedia talks about you know King having this 98 page novella which I guess would be taking out all these I don't know, art, archival Fake articles certain, and things yeah, yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, I don't know if he considered that filler, like I just need to make space. But it actually adds something to it, I mm-hmm. think, which we'll, we'll talk about. But I I also enjoyed it. I was thinking Carrie was going to make it out alive, but I was wrong. So I guess maybe it's fitting we can also talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about genre first. So it is, I mean, you know, the, the legacy and the fact that it reclaims a best selling spot in the horror genre after so many years. Do you consider this a horror novel?
1: I do, partially because it's paranormal aspects, but also because it is just you know, horror shows like really good horror shows the darker side of, of human nature and the darker side of humanity. You know, uh, having sat through Grady Hendrix's hilarious presentation a few years ago at the Virginia Book Festival for his book, Paperbacks from Hell, horror through from the 70s into like the 90s was a very schlocky, very often cheesy creature feature monsters and or all of those sorts of things. It was kind of a low grade B level genre of book and King and a couple of other writers, V.C. Andrews and stuff kind of rose above that a little bit to, to be the bestsellers, but there's a lot of crap out there. Um, Romance is kind of the same way. Hard romance kind of had a similar kind of feel. And I think science fiction, like all these very specific genres you ever notice, like there's the, there's the ones who kind of fly above the fray. You know, like Daniel Steele and things like that. But then you have the 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 Harlequin things, the things that are churned out, you know, and and that people buy like the and I'm not I don't mean to sound derogatory here because I'm not being derogatory. to say, But kind of the trash books, you know, that people buy and then and, and sci fi has them, too. And, and I've noticed that. But this this is a little bit level above. And I think one of the things is that um, it's it's not a creature feature. And there's no there's supernatural things at play, but there's no um, exploration into what gives her her powers aside from the kind of scientific speculation in in the book. But there's no like she's not there's no explanation of the origin of Pazuzu or whoever the demon and the exorcist was or, Mm -hmm. you know, or was Stephen King in some of his later novels like it goes into the history of what it is you know like a very deep history of like and how it took the form of pennywise and and all these other things so he didn't do that here and i think the novel is better for it because this is a very realistic book and that's what i think makes it so engaging and in some places scary and horrifying in that this I could see, it's funny how one reviewer is like, you have to, re- you have to have a good sense of disbelief. But I'm like, no, a lot of what happens in this book, I can see. And when you add the paranormal to it, I'm still grounded in the reality of the world he's got here. You know, and yeah. and I, that's what I think. So I do think it's a very good horror book, actually.
3: Would you consider this elevated or highbrow horror? <sighs>
1: I, it's 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 a mass I guess we, I don't know
3: in the uh, way of Midsummer, which we both like
1: no, I don't know I, I think it's I, I mean I, it's it's a it's mainstream Hi, see highbrow highbrow to me suggests that really pretentious literary crap that, that sometimes is like really good but often it's like Jonathan Franzen or David Foster Wallace or Jonathan Saffron for or something where it's like people writing because they love the sound of their own voice um I don't get King at least at this point because there are novels by King where it's like, dude, you, you should have cut about 300 pages out of this. (laughs) Like, but I think it's highbrow compared to a lot of the other stuff that you see from around that time because it's on a higher level. Yeah. But it's clearly for everyone. You know, you don't need, you don't need a bachelor's in English to, to get Carrie because that's not the point of the book. Yeah.
3: I, I agree. I really like your definition of horror. When I was talking about this with Harry, who might come up a lot in this conversation, um, he said, you know, horror is not just about being scared, which some people consider. And I'm like, that's true. I guess I just always expect this tension that you feel throughout the entire novel. And to a certain extent I did feel that because I knew prom was happening. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think the first part is called blood sport. So it's like, you're like really getting set up for this. And everything happens with within a short amount of time. I just look at this and Pet Cemetery, which I argued like that was I mean, that was all about grief. That this mm-hmm. is also like very much a character drama. And, you know, how people are interacting with someone who is different. Yeah. What happens when you're constantly bullying something and then you know someone and they might act out. So I, I think I can get in line with your horror, but I feel like there are other, like, sub genres to it as well. And it's mm-hmm. just not you know, the shining I think is the novel, and I've yet to read it, but The Shining is just like the the one novel I think that I read of his, so that I like thoroughly consider horror because yeah. I really was like nervous the entire time. It you know it had those kind of creepy aspects, but yeah. perhaps I'm I'm giving a shallow yeah. definition
1: of no. I I, I, I think I think you're right about The Shining. The Dead Zone, which I also recommend, is more thriller than horror, even though it has horror elements to it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the dead zone is really, really good too.
3: Would you now, you know, I asked this several times, <laughs> often when we have youths, you know, it's like 50-50 of me joking and me being serious, but would you consider this novel Buildings Roman? A coming ah, of age. Buildings storm? Roman. Yeah, Buildings yeah.
1: <laughs> On some level, yes. Okay. I mean, it is kind of like where you're describing the girls who torment Carrie it's like Sue's kind of Margaret. And then Christine is uh, Chris is kind of one of like the friends that she's friends with, but now they're in high school and Carrie's like the weird girl that everybody was always picking on for Carrie it is kind of, there's at least elements of it, especially for her who has been sheltered her whole life and is very much a child up until, you know, really through the whole book.
3: Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, yeah, if if Sue is Margaret, then Chris is probably Margaret's friend who lied to her about getting married. Yeah. And I couldn't dr-
1: remember the name of the and girl, then, but yeah, yes, it's exactly. And yeah, and maybe Carrie
3: is the um the overdeveloped friend. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see, I mean it's obviously very condensed, but you do kind of see her grow up in the in this these matter of, of days, I feel like from going to not being able to really control her powers, for them yeah. being like flukes, to her actually, quote unquote, like flexing, I think, um, King That's uses the word she and uses, like yeah. lifting furniture up and things like that. And then, even in some of the artifacts that we see or the interviews, you know, her as a child and some mm-hmm. of those. And then she has a flashback of, of that time with the neighbor and what went down there. So I feel like to a certain extent it, it is, but she's just so short lived that it's like well this is this is it for her but certainly yeah. growing pains that unfortunately yeah many many people have to go through with bullying and things like that so let's see speaking of the the format of it. Mm. Uh, do you, I mean, I was, I was talking how I, I appreciated it, but do you feel like that the, the news clippings, uh, the white commission, the interviews, things like that, what things coming over the wire during the, the night? Did you see those as Phil or did that add to your experience as if you were actually there in the town and kind of reliving the experience?
1: I think it really added to it. When I first read it, I really liked that format. I thought it was really cool. Cause it was not something I read very often in a novel. And and I think this kind of saves the novel from being spoiled by what you know of the movie because you know what – everybody knows the prom scene in Carrie. Yeah. And from the beginning of this novel, you know something went bad at the prom. And you're just waiting for it and waiting for it and you're getting little bits and pieces yeah. of it. So it's, it's foreshadowed and a lot of ground is laid. Whereas in the film – you would have no idea going into the movie if you'd never heard of anything. What was she was going to do with the prom here? It's like, you know, he wrote it before the movie came out and everything. Right. But it's almost like retrospect retroactively because he structured it this way. If you go in knowing that this is going to happen. You're the tension is still there because you're waiting for it to happen and you're seeing it build and you're seeing him lay the groundwork. And I just thought the I thought the news thing was fascinating. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And in the same way that I really like that epilogue on both the Handmaid's Tale and the Testaments, where they were having the academic conference right, yeah. about it. And um, there's a couple of other books I've read since that do that sort of approach where it's like, let's have somebody doing an after-effect analysis of it. And I loved Sue Snell's voice in her memoir and i loved how so many people misinterpreted various aspects of what had happened and were placing blame because king was doing a, almost like a media critique of the way we tend to characterize the people involved in certain events or certain tragedies like this And I think that still holds up very much today, like the punditry of it all, right? When the flame game starts going around where there's a shooting or something. And um, I think he was almost kind of ahead of his time with that. He was really giving media criticism. Either he's ahead of the time or we just haven't changed in 50 years, you know. So I really liked that too. I thought it was really, really cool.
3: Yeah, I think it was also a lot of trying to disprove that this was supernatural. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because they really push different people on things like you knew it was Carrie, did you see Carrie? You're like, No, I couldn't see it, but I have a feeling it was Carrie. Have you seen Carrie before? No, I've never seen it before, but I knew it was Carrie. Yeah. Um or even uh interviewing the neighbor, you know, years later and, and everything that happened with the with the house and the hail and the, and the stones and everything mm-hmm. and just i think they wanted some like sort of reasonable explanation that was just like a gas main blowing for this tragedy instead of this yeah. this telekinesis but no i i also think that it adds the the narration itself is also very interesting just because you have this weird mix of like third person omniscient with first person almost yeah uh, the first person breaks through and you see it in parentheses but also it's like this third person omniscient is so omniscient that's practically first person yeah and so you get some people's feelings throughout the story but then to have it afterwards and to get the townspeople and yeah especially sue who was really i think the scapegoat uh, mm-hmm. which, which we'll talk about And, yeah, and I guess we'll also play the pundits and ask, you know, whose fault is this or if there's an antagonist (laughs) whatsoever. But, no, I thought it was very interesting. I feel like, you know, we've read a couple different, like, uh, you know, LMNOP was epistolary and we've read different formats and things i wouldn't be able to do it all the time but i think um that this came at the right time and it's used well that i liked it and you're right that yeah you wonder what's going on with the prom and the 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 town is destroyed but you have no idea (laughs) how it's happened until um you get to that particular point
1: yeah, and I liked how when it was the omniscient narration from Carrie's point of view, the interruptions with the parentheses worked because it um, it showed, and maybe I'm just overanalyzing here, it almost showed how fractured her mind was or how traumatized she was because a lot of times the break-in would be something with her mother. Yep. And her mother was just a, abused her. So yeah. that made a lot of sense that mama's voice was cutting in and cutting in and cutting in in a way that was the abuse. Like, so he's, he's grasping onto something about the trauma that somebody feels in their head. And that anxiety that I thought was very, very true.
3: Speaking of the mother and and this abuse, the the abuse very much centers on religion Mm -hmm. and we get some background, uh, but she seemed even too extreme for her own parents. I think her mom. I think they divorced, and her mom like had a boyfriend, and she was accusing them of living in sin. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty. Sure I think that's so. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then finds an equally, I, I don't know, fundamentalist or extreme uh, man in Mister White. Does I don't know. Do you think King is making a commentary on religion, or is he just trying to do something like really extreme that would cause? This amount of maybe repression in Carrie and um, ostracism from the town—like he was just trying to create this recipe for someone who was an outsider—or do you think he does is also commenting on um, the negative side of religion?
1: I'm gonna say both, okay, <laughs> because I've listened to enough podcasts about cults to know that women like Margaret White exist, yeah. Uh, I know personally know um, or my wife knows a couple of people who were in uh, who were brought up in like very, very fundamentalist evangelical communities like like that would take the Margaret White approach to things. So I think there is a shining a spotlight on that to show how horrible it actually is. But it also does set up that contrast between her and Carrie and the rest of the town that it makes Carrie an easy target, like all of the things that help develop her character, too.
3: Yeah. Do you think... Now, I know that she was kind of going around and, and spouting the similar things that her mother did, mm-hmm. but she also seemed to draw inward, I think, as she got older and was just, like, trying to stay out of it. Did mm-hmm. she... Did, <laughs> the bullying was, like, any of that warranted i mean like things painted on the wall of carrie white it's just like so extreme to go against one individual where's it coming from like there's uh, so much hatred for carrie white that it like i don't understand where it's all coming from
1: i i don't blame the victim you know maybe in the past there was something that she would said because when you're younger you kind of parrot what your parents do anyway because she seemed as she got older to believe in it less and less or see the wrongs in what, what her mother was doing and really did, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for her. I mean, even empathy about how she wanted to be, for lack of a better word, normal. Mm-hmm. And she was not just a weird girl. She was like the really weird girl. And she'd been picked on for a long time. And it all, it, it's not her fault per a hundred percent that she ended up making herself an easy target for these girls, you know, and there's always, and this happens, this is a trope of this sort of subgenre of bullying, things like that. But I've seen this with bullies in, in real life. There's always the one among the bullying group that gets a little too obsessed with the victim. And Chris is that person. Like there's always the one in the group who's bullying somebody and they can never let it go. When the rest of them are like, we had our fun, let's go do something else. And she will come back to or they will come back to bullying the person
4: yeah,
1: and making the person feel horrible and always and always and always, which is why you end up, you know, if we think of, you know, we've, we've read enough stories about cyber stalking and things in our modern day that that drive people to very drastic actions, and very often suicide. But yeah, I, I, I think that. Um, he set her up to be the easy target for everybody, probably because it just it needed to be that way so we could kind of move forward. So the the, the lot we can talk about lockers, locker scene, of course, but like some of the ridicule is out of outright hatred, and I want to say some of it is following along with a trend that everybody does because everybody makes fun of Carrie, so I'm going to make fun of Carrie too. Mm. And I think with some of it, like the graffiti, is like somebody's going to find this funny. The motivation to get laughs out of somebody to be like, hey, man, that's funny or get praise. So it's not even the motivation is not even bullying the person. Sometimes sometimes it's getting the praise for doing the bullying. Yeah. Like your friends like, oh, hey, man, you did that. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's what you're going for. Not the feeling of superiority that you have over carry. It's the feeling of validation you have from the other uh you know, assholes in the group. Yeah. And that, I think that is very, very true through this book too.
3: It's just nuts to like read everything that she went through and be like, this is a 16-year-old girl who's probably had to deal with this for her entire life. Yeah. It's just like so extreme. And like everyone's against her. There was like not one person on her side. And so it's, I mean, I 100% do feel empathy towards Carrie. I mean, there's some... She's getting it from all sides. I mean, she, there's yeah. no safe space for her, um, except maybe, well, I was going to say, on the walk home. But even that kid was bullying her. Yeah. So, yeah. N- no, I don't blame her at all. It's just, like, weird that, you know, some harmless things of maybe, you know, oh, you know, your your pillows, your soft pillows or whatever mm-hmm. they were called.
1: Your um, your uh, your dirty pillows. Your
3: dirty pillows are showing, you know, to... Yeah. to Decide to hold on to that for years and, yeah. and go after her.
1: There's a there's a Boo Radley-ness to her as oh. well, and I think that's part of it. Because like in To Kill a Mockingbird, they are always making fun of Boo Radley. Atticus is like, you shouldn't do that, but Boo Radley becomes like, you know, we could we'll have we'll have a discussion in that book at some point. But oh, I think cool. there's a little bit of Boo Radley in Carrie, and yeah. uh, you know, I think he's he's taking from that type of character too.
3: Just in terms of the religion, I guess I do. I only worry in these sorts of representations of religion how much people kind of believe it, you know, wholesale, and they don't. I guess also, you know, like like they would look at it and be like, oh, look at those. That's what those Christians do. Because then, yeah. you know, in the real world, we go outside and maybe there'd be someone. Telling us we're going to hell, holding a big sign up, which you know happens. I don't mm-hmm. know if it happened at Baltimore Comic Con for you, but they usually are around there. Uh, so mm. there are those people, and that like makes me worry that you know those are the the extremists. Don't please don't believe that that's everyone.
1: Like the like the Westboro Baptist yeah. Church types or yeah. or the Duggars. That's who I think of when I see Margaret White. Yeah. I don't see your mainstream pick your denomination you know i don't see the mainstream i think some of the mainstream denominations have shifted in some respects to the more extremes but i think that's a much larger debate we can get into but what i see here is your westboro baptist church your your dugger types yeah. you know what are they the uh, what the hell do they call themselves The branch quiverful the yeah the branch of video you know like yeah, so like kind of sticking to a very, very strict interpretation of things. And so
3: you can, yeah, I mean, listeners can only take my word for it that it's not all of us, I promise. A, a dark question, dark question. Mm-hmm. When I was reading this, I did think about, uh, unfortunately, just in the world that we're living in, all of the school shootings that we have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, thinking even back to, to Columbine. Do you feel like there's kind of that? I mean, in the wikipedia which we don't know we don't know his mind i don't know what happened in the 70s i should have done research about how, you know what sort of school shootings had been going on around that time but could you kind of see that that this would you know if we took the supernatural <sighs> moment that it could be a layered or or like a metaphor for that sort of thing happening or just is that just where my mind is now because was <sighs> just current events for us
1: I think it was prescient because I don't think there are a lot of school shootings that you can attribute to people in the 1970s. The most famous one I know of is a young woman who started firing at students at an elementary school. And she gave the reason as I don't like Mondays. And that's where the Boomtown Rats song comes from. Oh. It's about her. But I think... You have a few that happened over the course of the 70s. It's not until the very late 90s where these what we know of as them today come into play. Columbine is misattributed to bullying. And if you're anybody who ever wants to read about Columbine, there is a book called Columbine by Dave Cullen, who was a journalist for the Denver Post. It is an outstanding account of everything and his investigative journalism into, you know, the two people who committed this. Where it wasn't a straight up bullying revenge. Now, there were school shootings around that time where a kid brought into gun and shot at a couple of people who were bullying them. And that's where I see this book and stuff. Incidentally, there is a book of his that was written under the pen name of Richard Bachman, because that was when he was those were like his non-horror novels. And then eventually he got kind of outed as Richard Bachman. It was called Rage. He
3: got outed. As no, yeah. He, he was published. No, it's just a funny phrase. Yeah,
1: I know. He it, it, it was, it was like, hey, this is actually Stephen King. And it became, oh. But there was a book called Rage, which is he took out of print because it had been on the shelves of a few people who had committed school shootings or violent acts in the schools. Because it was about a kid taking hostages into the school and committing the school shooting. And um, – Back and he wrote it back in the 70s, and uh, and he was like, I don't want this out there any more than it already is because it's becoming associated with these events, and I just don't, you know, he, like he 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 smartly said, no, you have to pull this because even if it's not directly influencing it, it's I don't want it uh, out there. But this I can see, I can see how people would look at this and, and think of that, especially in our modern in our modern context of this yeah. person who essentially. Snaps. Yeah. You know?
3: Absolutely. So, yeah, let's get into quote unquote the fault mm. and also antagonists and things like that. So, you've already brought up Chris, and as you were talking, I was thinking about that conversation between the principal and her father Mm -hmm. and it's like a back and forth they basically whip out their penises and uh the principal said like this is not the first time and then you hear about all these terrible things that chris has done to other people so i wonder if you would (laughs) do you think chris is i never understand the distance the difference but a sociopath or a psychopath do you think she's like one of these because it seems like she lacks empathy
1: on some level, yeah, she's kind of a Heather Chandler, you know, where she is, she rules the place because she's got her little flock of followers. Um, she is the closest thing this this, but uh, she is the essentially the villain if we have a villain of this book,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and she's an awful person.
4: Well, yeah,
1: you know, and and she uses, but you know, there are kids like that. I think we both come across those kids who are like, my dad can get you fired, type of kids. Yep. And dad or or who know that dad's going to march in or mom's going to march in. And when the principal – I was shocked the principal had the cojones to actually stand up to the guy. Yeah. We've both had administrators who fold like a <laughs> – who fold at the sight of a lawsuit possibility. Yeah. The fact that he turned around and said, wait a second. Here's the laundry list of crap your daughter has done that you've gotten her out of. And her father was like – quietly kind of retreated from that and that's when chris decided she was going to take matters into her own hands um but yeah she's she's a pretty awful person i, I didn't i did not like her at it's,
3: all it's hard to know i do want to get into something of course with billy i will say in terms of the principle i think because that ch- section starts with like he knew he was it was like inevitable that i think he had been doing some side research because I think the gym teacher probably told him what happened, yeah. And then he probably started doing some stuff to prepare for it. Because uh, I think off the cuff, there's no way that he would have he would have been able to do that.
1: It was almost predictable. Was yeah. like She's going to bring her father in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Father's a bigwig lawyer who likes to swing his penis around around the town. You know. So I got to prepared for that. Yeah. Yep.
3: Chris and Billy very interesting relationship mm-hmm. softened, extremely softened in the film. I would like to say, but oh i oh i don't know i feels like some rape was involved there as well like it it felt very rapey when i was watching that and even how like billy his internal monologue and how he thinks about her uh i think she was holding out for a while until she kind of got what she wanted and then yeah that she had to deliver the goods i think once when that Down, but uh, yeah thoughts on that relationship and how it's presented is this a 70s sort of thing or is it just let's make Billy out to be the worst and let's also maybe have some uh, some sentimental feelings towards Chris
1: he's written a lot of characters like Billy over the years Uh, there's a bully in it who reminded me of of Billy Henry I can't remember his last name Um, Bowers Henry Bowers On one hand, she's using him. She's using him to get what she wants out of this whole scenario she set up. I think she's using him to piss off her parents, you know? Yeah. He's Judd Nelson and she's Molly Ringwald in The Breakfast Club, where at the end he's like, you know how you... You say, like, you know, you do things to tick off your parents. Wouldn't dating me like it? Wouldn't I be outstanding in that capacity or whatever? And so they're like making out at the end of the movie because she's the rich bitch princess and he's the, he's the burnout, the criminal. And I pictured that sort of, um, you know, he's, she is he is the wrong side of the tracks guy that you date because you hate your parents or you want to get back at them for something or you just want her bell or she also kind of wants to control him and and maybe she sees him as a challenge, but he is he's bad news. And I, in that way that, yeah, he's I got the sense that he forced himself on her more than once. Yeah, but back then did we have the conversations around rape that we and sexual assault that we have now no and wasn't there a lot of just lay back and take it so it seems very realistic for the time and I think there are some people who unfortunately still I can yeah. picture this happening today too in certain uh, sectors of the of the of the country, the population, but yeah, I think this is very much of its very accurate for the time. Where I don't know if people would have really tolerated rape back then.
3: And it's it's a romantic romanticization romanticization yeah. yeah. It just sounds weird. Yeah. In in a way that's similar to Scarlet and Rhett Butler. Mm. Right, because that whole the staircase, um, she's mm-hmm. saying no, 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 and then kind of like gives in to it, and is like scene is very romantic. That scene in the book is like different, uh, I will say. But you know, I, I think in Gone with the Wind, yeah, in Gone with okay. the Wind. So it feels like that, like she's fighting against him, but then it's like really hot. Um, so they get together. The Margaret White, when she's talking about yeah. that, um, she's like, I said no, and but he like forced. And then she's like, but it was really hot. So it's like, it really is rape, but it's also turned into this like hot kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm saying no, but I really mean yes, which is really problematic. Well, and, and,
1: and, and yeah. Piper Laurie's recitation of those lines in the movie is really good. Yeah, that was like the only verbatim of, section from the yeah, book. yeah, and she's like, and she gets this sort of weird, like, this is horrible, but this raw something in there that's like vulgar and like, oh, it's just it's it's uncomfortable, and and there's something in Chris and Billy that's like, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's so not right, yet at the same time, I can picture this, yeah. And he's and he's like, he really doesn't care about her, no. Because like at one point he's like, I would have dumped the pig's blood on her.
3: Yes, I think yeah. Once he 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 seemed to like worship her to a certain extent, like at the beginning. mm -hmm. I think once she gave the goods, I think it was like, oh, now I can dismiss you kind of thing.
1: uh, Which is also typical. Yeah. Right. Like you know, I I got what I wanted, so I'm done with you. You know, you're a conquest, in that sense. I think is is what how he views it and stuff. And he gets his greaser redneck friends to help him out and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, his greaser friends, yes. Uh, which he's fine uh, making them take the rap for it. Yeah. Though. Doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. Would you blame what happened on Chris, Chris and Billy, Chris or Billy?
1: Partially, yeah. I mean, they're the ones who set the prank up. If if it hadn't happened, they wouldn't have triggered Carrie, you know? Yeah. So in the film, several of Chris's friends are in on it. Yep. In the book, it's just Chris, Billy, and Billy's stupid friends. Yep. And that's it. So there, I think, in the book that you have more to blame. Chris and Billy share more of the blame because nobody but nobody – was going to do anything to carry at the prom.
3: No. And even if, I think Billy's friends were like, this is a little bit too much. Once he's smashing Sal's heads.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even there, again, there's the one guy who keeps taking it too far. And yeah. the rest of everybody's just kind of like, you know, they're going along with it. Because they're actually kind of a little scared with him. And once they got out of the situation, they're like, all right, I'm washing my hands of this. Yeah. yeah. I li- The one thing I liked, actually... Is how in the book when they not the murder of the pig, but how King thought through what they were going to do with the blood and how it was going to be transported and how they put it on ice So they essentially froze it and like he had it in ice for a long time and he froze it so that when he set it up on the gym, the ladder in the auditorium gym or wherever to have it over there, it was actually pretty thick. It wasn't going to leak all over splash all over the place, but by the but he set it up, you have the hot lights, you have the room. And so by the time it happened, it had thawed out. I was like, I liked how he thought that through as a writer. Like, how is he going to put because he was putting it in the back of his car? I'm like, how is he going to put this? This bucket in the back of the car, I think in the movie they just use a gas can or something. They they have a container, a closed container for it. But here he's like, I'm putting it on ice and everything. So he essentially freezes it in a cooler. And I was like, that's smart yeah. writing there. He, he thought that through.
3: Yes. Uh, just to back you up on, you know, no one else was a part of it. There's one really striking commentary from someone who survived that – Like everyone, I think the quote is similar to everyone breathed a sigh of relief that like Carrie was entering back into society because I think it was almost like becoming a burden for these people to be terrible people. And so Carrie is like she's normal. She is just like everyone else. And so everyone's like, "Oh, look, you know, we don't have to play this game anymore, <laughs> you know, and, and do this terrible thing." And and I feel like a weight was lifted off of them, uh, which I think just goes to to show, yeah, that they want to know part of it. I do. I think now to contradict myself, I do want to talk about, and I want to get back to Sue Snell and keep asking the question: Whose fault is it? Who's an antagonist or a villain? But there is laughter it at the prom i wondered what you made of this laughter and i just want to like put forward a theory because it felt like very uncomfortable not in the like oh you shouldn't be laughing but like it seemed they were not doing it of their own accord because i was super shocked that miss DeJardin was laughing and then there were a couple i'd have to find it in the book if i could uh, maybe while you're talking i'll try to find it Where someone who had survived said that, like, some of the people looked like they couldn't control themselves. And I wondered if it was Carrie, like, projecting what she was imagining people were actually doing. um, And it kind of made them do it, even though they were more horrified than anything. Because I connected back to that kind of sigh of relief. Because why would that happen Tommy gets hit, blood, which is really horrifying. People were sick because of the smell of it, and then they're all laughing. It seems like there's just like this – it just doesn't seem like it fits together. But what do you – that's just my theory that she was kind of projecting her own feelings and then it happened. But do you have any thoughts about people actually laughing? Yeah,
1: it was a little weird to me that I thought it was projecting her feelings – as well, because it was a little weird to me that the gym teacher was
3: yeah.
1: laughing as well. It's almost like everybody got caught up in that moment where somebody started laughing, and it got contagious, and perhaps Carrie was projecting her feelings. Because then the thing that, the, thing that the, the summary didn't leave in, she gets off the stage and she falls. Right. She trips over her own feet, basically, and then almost falls again, but stayed on her feet. So she... Things keep happening, embarrassing things keep happening to her, and um, that's when somebody that Miss Desjardins snaps out of it. I was trying to figure. I'm trying to figure out how the gym teacher and the principal survived. I, I think know. maybe, maybe at the point where she carries throws her across the room. Yes, and I, maybe she got out or something. 'Cause uh she had a bloody nose, so she wasn't unconscious. I'm just I'm flipping through the book here and looking at it. You're in here.
3: Yeah, I saw that there was a story there. Yeah, there was I can't yeah. remember who is speaking here. Norma Watson. But she yeah. said apparently it was her wide eyed look. That was what made people laugh. We couldn't help it. It was one of those things where you laugh or go crazy.
1: But she compared it to blackface. Or like what you would see in those old cartoons. I think she uses yeah. the 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 song of the South, which yep. for people who were teenagers that day would have seen a lot of those type of cartoons back in the day. So that tracks. I don't think a lot of us would have been seen a lot of those things. Maybe here and there. We certainly would have known it was bad. Uh, Her I don't think she ever she gives the impression that that blackface was a good thing or he does. I think it's just the way she describes it was just this old thing she would see in an old cartoon. And so you're you've got this girl who's completely covered in red with the white eyes. And and then I think, yeah, the laughter becomes contagious and everything.
3: Yeah. All this happened in no more than two minutes. Nobody could put it all together. We were stunned. Some of them were wandering around talking a little but not much. Helen Shires burst into tears, and that made some of the others start up. Yeah, it just seems Ross. Yeah, I'm the one who uh, – Stella looked over and said, Carrie's back. And I Mm -hmm. said, yes, that's right, which is interesting Some some of these things. It's like, of course she's back. But, yeah, it's just – I mean, it could be those, like, awkward, like, I feel very uncomfortable laughter, and then it got out of control. But even in the film, initially, they're not laughing. It's Mm -hmm. all, like, Carrie's believing and also her mother's, they're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. Um, And this kaleidoscopic uh, look. (laughs) And then the girl who is one of the victims of Michael Myers. PJ
1: Souls. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Wears a hat. Everywhere, yeah. even at prom, um, she starts off and, like, starts to egg people on, but they feel very uncomfortable. So, And even Tommy's like, what the hell? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it just seems so weird that, yeah, that people would laugh at that. I would be horrified.
1: There's always one or two people who laugh at that crap, though. Yeah. Who find – I trust me, I, I grew up around people like that. It, it, it was very true for me that people would laugh at other people's misfortunes all the time. And this is where I grew up. So it's part of a culture of teenagerism that has not fully died. Mm. But yes, it was still prevalent when I was a teenager in the 90s. Like somebody getting something horrible done to them would result in some sort of ridicule. Yeah. Things. Yeah.
3: Since we're in prom, let's talk a little bit about Carrie's looks. So at the beginning, like the way beginning in the shower here, she's described as a chunky girl with pimples on her neck and back and buttocks, her wet hair completely without color, um, which I guess she would have some color there. And I know that she's not fat necessarily, but she, she's she got some, some bits because she, she eats things because I, I think – what was her description – well, I mean, she doesn't go out, so really all she has to do is, is eat. But she's described by the neighbor during that correspondence as being very beautiful for a child and even comments that you wouldn't know looking at like the more recent photos. And then even at the prom, she's described as as beautiful there. Um, I don't know what was my question exactly. I guess, I yeah, what do you think about this... Comparison between the two, like who Carrie is, Ooh, the showers, I guess at different times in the novel. I yeah, there's say like a, anything about her character.
1: Yeah. Um, I know she's mentioned as chunky, although what's interesting is by the time she gets to the prom, it's not like she's there's no description of whether or not she's been trying to lose weight. It's just this idea that underneath a lot of these frumpy dresses was hidden more of a figure. Mm hmm like there's an ugly duckling swan thing going on here on some level when she's at the prom because she was very plain looking because of just the way she was pre- presenting herself. Curvy, I guess would probably be the, the way to put it, you know, you know, relative to things, you know, there's, I would imagine that Sue Snell and Chris Harginson and all those girls were kind of like the skinny diet pill types. Right.
4: Yeah.
1: So in, in the context Of comparison, she's chunky, you know, but I I don't think, but I think he, he kept it so that there was that sort of negative description of her. Maybe we're kind of seeing it in the context of how she was thought of at school, you know, and and how they kind of would describe and classify her at school as the fat girl, you know, that sort of thing. And by the time you get a little bit further down the road when you've gotten to know her a little bit better and she shows up the problem and Tommy is kind of taken a little with her. Like, kind of that surprise, like, I had no idea. So she was never really ugly. You know, she was just kind of, again, her reputation preceded her. And I think that was the idea in the shower, that her reputation is going to precede her even coming into this novel where we don't even know her.
3: Yeah, it almost follows, I guess, the path of where she kind of floats in and out of society. Like mm-hmm. as a child, I think even though she was spouting to the neighbor, you know, something about y- y- probably the dirty pills again. Uh- <laughs>
1: well, there's the thing where she's younger, like her neighbor is a teenager and her neighbor's not like sunbathing right. and is yes. topless, I believe. And she points it's out her right breast, understand. Yeah. But yeah or something like that yeah
3: because her mother the, her mother the mother's I guess got into an altercation yes and then her that the neighbor's mother decided to double down and get her daughter to wear a bikini to like show Margaret Margaret white but anyways yeah so she you know kind of over there but I feel like she hadn't fully bought in it's almost like what you were saying about parroting the mother and then I feel like once she was out of society it's like she physically is also described as being out of society as well. Like, there's no way she could fit in. But once she's trying to move back in, it's like, yeah. I mean, people are commenting on her dress genuinely. Like, people are genuinely, I think, kind and interested, also flabbergasted at her appearance at at prom and and engaging with her. So I think that's why there's also a shift. And then there's a shift back as she looks just horrifying, you know, with the blood and mixed with water and whatever else was going on dirt and all that stuff. Like yeah. she probably, because now she's just like literally washed her hands of it. And a, Mrs. Macbeth, lady Macbeth. Yes. There's
1: sort of a reference to that too. Yep.
3: There sure is. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing is, is like laughing at her is such default behavior that they're genuinely surprised by her at the prom and they are warming to her, but none of them is expecting the prank to happen. And the prank happens and they go back to it. It's almost like, oh, time to laugh at Carrie again. So that's another thing that is. Yeah. But I think I also think that she is projecting a little bit.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So then we all get to let's get to Sue Snell. Sue Snell, I would say a complex character. I think the film does her dirty, but we'll talk about that once we get there. Mm hmm she is, like she's mentioned at the outside of this novel i was like who's this Sue person and even mr Jardin is like shocked that sue had a part to play in the plug it up situation mm-hmm. with, the, um, with all that she has a conversation with tommy a postcoital conversation about you know have you ever done something that you regret to somebody else or like intentionally hurt them really has guilt and shame over what happened and you know she Asked Tommy to to take Carrie to to prom and everything. Do you lay, and like I said, in some of these uh, post-explosion of the town moments, a lot of people do blame her. Yeah. And kind of use her as a scapegoat and ask, did you do this intentionally? Was this all your plan? all all that stuff? Do you lay any blame at the feet of Sue Snell?
1: No, uh, because I think any blame that she has is inadvertent. Yeah. She never thought that this was going to happen. She never had any real clue. People kind of kept it from her. You know, the few people who knew that something was going to happen. And you like it's like the only the only thing that anybody else knew aside from Chris was like the one person Chris did, did basically recruit somebody to more or less help her rig the election. Other than that, Sue could have never known. I I like how they have that the the footage of her interview with the police and then the excerpts from her memoir because they, because I think that type of person being the survivor and having that connection in that way would get scapegoated. So I thought that was very, very realistic too. And I, I thought that gave her character depth because here's this person writing years later, like you don't know what happened and everybody got it wrong. And I'm going to tell you what happened. And Desjardins comment in the beginning is like, I never expected you to get caught up in this. Like Sue's the nice girl. Yeah. And I think I liked, I liked that part of it. Like she's always the nice girl. And she just got caught up in the moment with it. Like everybody else is doing it. And I got caught up in it, And that happens too. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mob mentality. And, but yeah, Sue's the, Sue's the nice girl. I actually really liked her character.
3: Yeah, um genuinely liked yeah. her as
1: a person. I liked the character too.
3: Yeah, I, I like that, you know, you've got someone kind of examining what they're doing, examining, you know, this mold that's been created for her and whether she wants to fit into that mold or not. You know, being the quintessential this prom queen, being with the popular guy is she just gonna you know get married and have kids is that what she wants so like really figuring herself out so like Mm -hmm. i definitely think that this this could be a buildings roman for for sue snell as well yeah and yeah battling with what she did and and i'm really proud of her in that moment in the restaurant or the honky tonk wherever they were where she was basically like stuff it chris and like (laughs) cuts her off because that was really what needed to happen i mean chris was like a toxicity in her life that she that she didn't need um yeah i don't i and I, I feel lots of empathy and compassion just because I mean she's going to carry that with her for for her whole yeah. life. You know that this happened, um, and she was just trying to do yeah. and I mostly altruistic deed. I think part of it is for her to feel a bit better about what happened oh, yeah. in the shower. Yeah. I agree um, with you. But definitely, you know, it 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 was coming from kindness.
1: I also get the sense of you're describing how she tells. Chris to stuff it and she's Helping Carrie I also see a little bit of Maturity of her realizing because they're all Seniors right of her Starting to realize or Think about the world and Life beyond the confines of this High school drama BS Yeah and Carrie Not having to be caught up Into this either like she's starting To kind of see the facade that is Her high school existence And starting to very Really tire of it And I get the sense that she wants something else out of life, and she's not sure what that is, but she should start by making – and I I think I agree with you. She's trying to make up for what she did, too. Um, But even that has good intentions, right? She's not doing it – mom's not forcing her to apologize. My mom says to tell you I'm sorry.
4: Yeah.
1: She's she's genuine in what she's trying to do for Carrie there because she feels – she sees what's been going on with her and she sees what she did. And she's just like, she feels horrible. And she's like, I, and, and nobody suggests it to her either. I think that's the other really important thing too. Nobody suggested she make it up to do something to carry. The only thing that anybody makes her do something in the context of what she did to carry in the locker room is the detention. Right. So she, that's, I think that's important too, that she came up with this on her own.
3: Yeah. Because she has that discussion with, tommy but she mm-hmm. even asked him like would you do you regret it or would you like apologize? and he's like hell no i wouldn't so it's like you know no one's really giving her positive advice for for what to do necessarily
1: you're gonna take advice for a boy
3: and he did say he kicked that kid after he was conked out yeah so i mean he was making somebody's like he would have done it again or whatever so. yeah but he feels bad about it mm-hmm yeah. I think also the fact that Tommy was like, well, I'll probably come back here and work at my dad's automotive shop. And she's like, yeah, this is not. <laughs> I think she realized, even though she loves Tommy, I think it's like not an enduring love by any means.
1: Yeah. She's a high school boyfriend.
3: So then, I, get, I mean, do you consider Carrie an antagonist? No. Okay. So it's. Carrie's Chris. a victim,
1: Chris is the antagonist.
3: Okay. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Do we use the word villain or do we not?
1: Chris, is pretty close to a villain. Okay. She's not mustache twirling or anything, but she's she has got some villainous. She's got a villainous streak to her. Carrie's not off the hook for what she does. You know, she levels the town. Yeah. And she ends up getting, I think that her being portrayed as a monster in the media is a little bit extreme because we see what she has been going through she for lack of a better word she's insane at the end of the book yeah i don't really know how any other way to describe it she has gone completely insane you know so i think that's something we have to consider and i don't think that in that way she's a villain she's not the joker
3: Uh no no, and, and I think the fact that she just doesn't just haul off and kill Sue when she opens her eyes at the end mm-hmm. also shows that she's kind of still there. Why do you think Carrie makes a beeline for her house and, and feels the need to to kill her mother? Was it inevitable that her mother, uh, her mother had to die?
1: Um, well, I think it was inevitable her mother had to die. I think her mother is one of the other uh, antagonists in the novel. I think she's going there because she's seeing the people who tormented her and she realizes her mother has done it too. Yeah. And she's going because she goes it's just like she just starts going after the town. And blows things up and does all these things and she's on her way to the house and she gets to the house and like, and her mother's there with a knife too. Don't forget. So there's also, it's, it's part like I'm coming home to get you, but I'm also acting in self-defense because they go after each other at the same time. So, yeah, I think, I think, but her mother had terrorized her her whole life, you know, and she's seeing that she's like, I'm going to get you too, because she's out for everybody at this point. Yeah. So. You know, at one point she she does. Toward the end, she is softening a little bit, coming back a little bit. She thinks of her mother in a way that's not as "I'm going to kill you." I liked the scene with Sue, where she like Sue like has realized what Carrie has been doing mentally, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: showing projecting, and she even says to her. And basically, I know what you're able to do. Look, look inside me and you will see that I was not trying to harm you. And I really thought that was a really nicely done scene because it showed compassion.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And goes all the way back to Sue's childhood, I think, and, mm-hmm. and shows that, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it seemed, I mean, we were building it up and Carrie was building it up, uh, trying to let go of the fear that she had for her mother and stand up for herself. And so mm-hmm. I think once she realized that, I mean, she really tapped into her power and unleashed it. I think it was, yeah, it was directed towards everyone who has ever uh, bothered her at high school and tormented her. And then, you know, the, the foremost tormentor also had to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another really good tension that he builds, where he cuts back and forth between what's going on at the prom and the mother at home sharpening the knife. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, like you're you're waiting for this to happen, and um, you're actually half expecting her to kill her.
3: Yeah.
1: And they kill each other, and they do kind of kill each other, but it's not out until after. Uh, after you know, she time. crawls away and gets Chris and, and, and Billy.
3: Yeah. Do you feel like she died because she was bleeding out or do you think that telekinesis and using it to a, a high degree or powerfully causes heart failure? Because I think her great-grandmother we, or her grandmother had some sort of uh, power... Wayne was mm. her great grandmother, and she died in her sixties of heart failure. And then in the epilogue, we find out that, like the grandmother, had died early as well. Do you think that that? What, what, I, pff, do you have any thoughts as to how Carrie died or why?
1: I don't know if a shoulder wound would really kill you, yeah. unless you hit something major. But I would imagine if you hit something major, like an artery. Or a really big vein. You wouldn't be able to. She goes like. Because Sue follows the trail of blood. And her footsteps. All the way out to like. She goes. She It's not like she goes next door. Right. She goes like halfway across
4: town. Yeah.
1: I don't think that she would have been able to do that. Had she been bleeding out from that wound. I think it would have taken a lot quicker for her to die. Or she wouldn't have been able to move. I know adrenaline is kind of part of it, but um, so yeah, I kind of think you like maybe this puts a lot of strain on you mentally and physically in a way that that is not explained because the scientific community in the in the world of the book isn't looking for that. They're they're not really defining that because they're skeptical that her powers actually existed.
3: Right. Yeah.
1: So, I like how she stops her mother's heart.
3: Yeah.
1: I thought that was really cool. I was like, ooh, that's that was that was really really well done.
3: In the midst of, uh, in our father, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I guess a quick question. Why do you think there's all this slapping in the novel? People hitting each other? Women to women? Men to women? Maybe women to men? I don't Just remember. Cher
1: walking place. up to Nicolas Cage. Snap out of it! Right. Um uh, yeah. Woundstruck. You think I, it's a 70s thing? I think it's a trope. Yeah. Okay. It's gotta be like I'm thinking like I think, I think they swear they did that on soap operas all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just gonna say it's just a trope.
3: Is there any good male character in the book?
1: This is tough. Men are trash. It's <laughs> cool, my broken
3: like a good female advocate and ally.
1: Santa yeah. Thomas. Uh Tommy comes the closest yeah. in my mind. He, he's he's kind of a he's kind of he's kind of a jerk in in, in, in certain aspects or I mean, it's just a little three dimensional. He's an immature guy and talking about the things he's telling Sue about the kid he kicked and everything. And it's very much of, you know, he's the jockey guy who picks on the, the he's <laughs> if I'm going with my breakfast club analogy, he's Emilio Estevez. But in the end in the whole thing with her and the prom and everything, there is a kindness of his heart in that. So I think yeah. in that instance he is the closest thing we have to a good guy in the book.
3: Yes. I think I would agree with you. Uh, I mean the principal doesn't even call her by her right name.
1: Cassie or uh, whatever it is.
3: Yeah. And I'm trying to think if there's anybody else.
1: No, Billy. I think that's Billy. Yeah, Billy, Chris's father, Definitely. Carrie's father. Yeah, yeah, just men in this book are trash. There's I mean, men are trash anyway, but yeah. men are men in this book are trash.
3: I was saving the period for last. So I guess okay. before the last one, it is about the epilogue, I guess we'll say. I think it's part four, three. Part three. Okay, There's three parts. It's yeah. Wreckage,
1: I think it's called. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think this uh, part three is wreckage. Part two, part one is blood sport, which I can't think of without thinking of that uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Uh, Part two, I think is just called Prom Night. And then part three is, is wreckage.
3: What what do you make of this ending? And then with the little girl who who has the TK, do you have any thoughts about how she's going to grow up? And I guess we kind of get to a nature versus nurture conversation or debate.
1: I liked the ending as an epilogue because it's it's got this real um, testimonial thing to it that I think works very, very well. People looking back and people kind of surveying the damage. The letter uh, that's a very you know that's a classic horror trope, isn't it? like the sort of something else is out there type <laughs> of thing at the end, right? Like yeah. so I actually thought that was that was pretty cool. the the fact that the little girl had the telekinetic powers. Would she end up being another Carrie? I don't know. It might not be that way. It depends on how I think part of this. I don't think the powers are necessarily evil because I didn't get the sense in the letter that the woman was writing that the grandma's powers were any sort of stress or Mark of Cain, so to speak. Yeah that they were just something that she could do. And so I think a lot of it is the nurture. I think Carrie was made in a sense or driven to the point where she did this. Or maybe there is something natural in it too, because she unleashes something, you know, she's practicing with the powers, but I think by the end, like the powers have control over her. And whatever she has unleashed inside of her is controlling her through everything she does to the town, and she doesn't really snap mm-hmm. out of it until after she uh, kills her mother and and has the dies uh, with Sue next to her.
3: Why do you say that the power has control over her rather than the opposite?
1: <sighs> it's it's in the kind of the realm of like she snaps right, so she's. She realizes what she's doing and she's very conscious of what she's doing, but at the same time, she has no control over what she's doing. Like she's she's rolling down a hill. You know? Yeah. She realizes she's rolling down a hill and she is rolling down the hill, and these are things, and she's seeing this happen and she's doing it, but she cannot stop herself from rolling down the hill.
4: Okay.
1: So she's not blameless at all. But she has been taken away, in a sense, by what, what she's started. You know, she, and she, it has to finish in some way.
3: The momentum is...
1: Yeah, the momentum, yeah. yeah.
3: Too fast to stop. Okay. So you think there would be no... Well, I guess my only thing is, like, with Sue at the end, is it just because she was wounded and she was, like, finally calming down and exhausted that she's well, able to have control over her power and not kill Sue immediately?
1: I think there's enough space between the time where she kills Billy and Chris and where Sue comes upon her that the adrenaline has finally started to go down. And because she's she's gonna kill Sue when Sue comes upon her and Sue just there's just enough of a opening in that doorway for her for Sue to walk in and like say something and, 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 and appeal to her. Mm-hmm. And get her to get her to kind of turn her turn back a little bit. So
3: yeah. So nature versus nurture? Do you think on these powers?
1: I can see both, okay. um, but I think it's nur. for me, it's nurture more than nature. I think a lot of this was the result of what people made her.
3: Yeah, I yeah I would agree. So it seems like she's in a loving atmosphere in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. So you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, it, it won't be like that yeah. but we'll uh yeah i guess we'll see uh yeah so fingers crossed um and then so yeah let us end with menstruation so the book <laughs> opens with the shower scene which famously I guess, yeah famously i guess so and it actually ends with i mean there's blood everywhere obviously mm-hmm. uh billy says like pig for a pig or yeah for a pig pig, yeah um but at the very end not the end end but the end of like the main uh story with carrie after carrie dies sue has her period and it's it's dribbling down her leg uh in a in a similar very similar way to a kind of a bracketing or ring composition uh (laughs) from the beginning but yeah your thoughts i guess on the use of menstruation and, and having that ring composition and um, the significance of, of Carrie getting her period.
1: By the way, Sue getting her period when several pages earlier while she was sitting around. She thought she was pregnant. That
3: is, yes. That she
1: is mentioned yes. the fact that she was never late, yep. like clockwork, and she was late. And then all of a sudden she gets her period. Um, I thought that was an interesting little twist. I don't know. The English teacher in me there is like symbolically it's her being let go to be somebody beyond the town because she was pregnant with Tommy's child. She's shackled to that town in Maine. I can't see her going and getting an abortion. So, um, or possibly the I'm going to disappear for a while, give the child up for adoption, that sort of thing. But either way it's, you know, Um, yeah, this is interesting because There's so much of her getting her period that, like, triggers her mother and the whole thing about her because her mother's like, I should have killed you in the womb and, like, all this horrible, horrible things. And, like, she gets it and her mother's like, then come the boys and, like, all this, like, this fanaticism and such. Um, I could totally see her not knowing what a period was, though, as late as 16 years old. Because there are people who are steadfastly against teaching anything regarding that. And there's there are still people in communities who will shame young women for getting their periods and things. Obviously, it's some sort of symbol of the start of womanhood independence, maybe? Control of her body? I, I don't know. What are you... What are you thinking? It's significant, but I can't exactly tell you it's significant. I feel like I need a little bit more of a women's studies course here or
3: something. Oh uh, no, no. I mean, I think you're getting. I think also it seems to be tied to her power. Like now, mm. it seems like it was almost being repressed, and now that she she has this, she's able to control it better. Yeah. Which I which I find it very interesting. Yes, obviously we get a, a better sense of who her mother is in that relationship through the fact that she didn't know what was happening. You also get it. I mean, this is the first the first incident in the novel. Like it's a, it opens up with this, and you understand immediately who these people are and mm-hmm. what Carrie's relationship is to them because it's just like I'm reading this and I'm like do people like this actually actually exist who would do this to somebody else and her freaking out and everything? And even the gym teacher not necessarily being the, the most understanding. So there's there's a lot of stuff going around. I love your analysis of, of Sue and, yeah, that freedom there because, yeah, she might have been pregnant with Tommy's child and then she's mm-hmm. just going to be kind of, yeah. What, a, a wife here as he goes to the automotive uh, uh, center and and just that's it yeah and I feel like there's a connection too that's made between her and Carrie besides the telekinetic action connection and sharing their past just that she ends it in the way that that Carrie began but yeah yeah unfortunately you know her mother. Just associates everything with sexuality. Yeah. And that's not necessarily... Y- I mean, yes, there's like a tie to that. But that you know, Stephen does... The author. Uh, he does get into it because, you know, the... Sh- and, oh, uh, the film. We'll have to talk about this because I, I really <laughs> didn't like that opening sequence. But, you know, she does i think when she goes home kind of like massage herself and and think quote unquote dirty thoughts and everything um so i don't know if like she's also maybe feeling that a bit more um that might be like a misrepresentation of it but i do think it is very much associated with kind of her power finally coming into being as well
1: yeah um i was thinking about it i'm like now i'm kind of wondering if she caused sue to have the period but maybe I'm just projecting too far. Like having looked inside Sue and seeing all these things happen, she triggered the...
3: Interesting.
1: But that's that's like comic book crap, comic booky sort of thinking, you know, like this is connected directly to this and there maybe is no connection there. Uh, but yeah, I... I uh, the, 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 the ridicule seemed natural to me because she's so old. To get her first period, right? For somebody who is not participating, like I know that there are um, certain things can delay your period for years. I know gymnasts very often have delayed periods uh, because of just things that stunt their development. Um, eating disorders, for instance, can mess up or delay a person's cycle. So, the fact that these very mean-spirited girls would ridicule her and mock her for like a getting her period really late and be not knowing what it is makes it makes that realistic the, the tampons the plug it up dramatic effect
3: yeah well did they you know, nose her first because i don't think she, i thought it was only a upon investigation by the gym teacher
1: yeah but like she comes at them with like looking for help like yeah she she like they can tell that she has no idea what's happening to her So they wouldn't have known it was her first, but like the way she's acting, they're like, what the hell is your problem? It's just your period. And they, they kind of clicks and they're like, Oh, she doesn't know what's going on. And Chris and them are just like, plug it up, plug it up, you know, and and, and throwing tampons and, and maxi pads at her. Um, and such. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, that's a brutal teasing. Yeah. Because that's the type of thing that gets around too, you know?
3: So. Yes, yeah, like the whole school would know, which yeah. is true. You know, I also wonder if, if Sue was under some stress, because I felt like she had an intuition of something bad was going to happen. Mm. And I don't know if like the stress and the shame and everything was also delaying her period. Possibly, um, yeah. So there there could be a lot, but mm-hmm. yes. Is this the bloodiest novel? that? He, well, The Shining does have the, what should I yeah. we'll call it?
1: But this is the I bloodiest novel, novel we've though? covered. <laughs>
3: Might be true. It's interesting. It's the complete opposite when she gets her period of Margaret's reaction, who was overjoyed when she got her first period.
1: Yeah. Menstruation is not talked about enough in a lot of the literature that we read and what it is and and how it's handled and that sort of thing, even as a matter of fact way, right? You don't see it very often, Um, even in TV and stuff. You know, a period comes up very often when it's late. Or pregnancy, right? Or pregnancy scare storyline, or uh, stupid hack jokes about are you on your period because a woman's you know sure. in a mood. It's very rare that I watch something, you know, sometimes, but like where it's just naturally mentioned or something like that and stuff. Although crazy ex-girlfriend did have a song called Period Sex. So. Oh,
4: interesting. That oh, was so
1: yeah. That that shit was very funny. Um yeah, but her her sex The other thing is is like her she stands up to her mother before she goes to the prom like their breasts because the dirty pillows. The and
4: dirty all. pillows? Yeah.
1: And she is discovering something about her sexuality. I think King goes just far enough to not make it seem like he's writing Lolita. <laughs> Yeah. So he it's not creepy. He he keeps it just, just far enough to not make it feel like we're being creepy reading this of this girl discovering something about herself that has been repressed by um, both her and her mother over these over this time.
3: Mm-hmm. I wonder what it was like before his wife.
1: Yeah, I'm curious too. Before the editor too. Yeah. So.
3: Yep. Yep. Okay. Well. I think that's it for the novel, mm-hmm. um, if I were to scan through. So then, yeah, we can talk about this. Um, oh, sorry. Should we do the required reading? Yeah. yeah. For the book? Okay. Is this, Tom, required reading?
1: I say yes. Um, For anybody who's looking into Stephen King, I'd be like, yes, this is one of the ones you have to read. And... I think it's a great horror novel. I'm like, yeah, read this. And and not only that, it's short. But I mean, it's like, yeah, you, I would say that, yes, you really should read this.
3: And I, I think this is good for anyone who kind of gets creeped out by horror.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Because it's like a good entry level where I think you won't be too freaked out. And also, especially if like you are a woman, I think you might feel like a, a kindred spirit. I think Carrie can speak to a number of different people in different ways. But yeah, to have a female lead and have some complexity there and, and with Sue and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say so. I would put yeah. this up there on my Stephen King reading. I think the only one I didn't like of Stephen King that I've read right now is The Dark Tower.
1: I read all, all of those books. Oh, Tom. I, I liked the whole series. Cool. I liked it. I liked the whole series. Okay. Uh, some of them were better than others. Yeah. Wizard and Glass was a great, great book. Uh, and I liked the, I like the uh, concluding chapters and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I enjoyed the Dark Tower.
3: Okay. So then Tom, the film.
1: Oh, which yes. Which you seem oh. to
3: love. I I
1: love this film. It's it's such a piece of 70s horror. So it is one of the most seventies movies that ever seventies. It's so much of its time. Fucking the Palma too with the nudity. Cause that was my that was my thought when we came on the air before we started recording i was telling you i forgot how much gratuitous nudity there was there was like full frontal nudity in the very opening shot of the movie i was like i don't remember this <laughs> so what did you what's your take on that
3: yeah so as i said uh i watched it with harry he made a comment well there are a couple comments I'll, I'll mention from him but he said it wasn't it wasn't Texas Chainsaw level so he I think did not care for it I yeah we both did not like Texas Chains the the original we both did not like it I don't know whether I can say I liked it or I didn't like it so one of my questions for you will be like how do you like this if you don't think about the novel because unfortunately because I had read the novel I kept comparing it to the film, which of course you do, Mm. but I feel like the adaptation is is wildly different. Uh, It's only an hour and 39, and you waste, I felt like, the filmmaker, the script, I don't even know, someone's wasting valuable time with that initial scene. And then having a gym class, like a full gym class, showing the girls doing all their exercises. I'm like, there's no point in this. And then you skip major characterization for Sue Snell. Because there's like, I don't understand her motivation in the film when she's just like, Tommy. She goes to his track practice. Tommy, will you ask Carrie out? And it's like, there was no discussion between them. You don't really get a sense that she has any sort of guilt towards it and harry when sue discovers the rope which by the way sue is played by uh, sloan's wife from alias which i thought was hilarious
1: if she was uh you know who she was married to through most of the 80s right no steven spielberg oh amy irving is very cute in this movie yes i will say that
3: so she's, she finds the rope and Harry says, oh, so she doesn't have anything to do with this? And I thought the fact that you asked that is really problematic. That there was even, you know, a debate. Mm-hmm. So I get – I understand why it's a cult favorite. and Maybe not even a cult. I think it's a popular favorite. And I think Sissy did a great job. And I think the prom scene itself and, like, the end of that is great. But I just have issues with the the characters basically, and that um, yeah, there was some like unnecessary wasting of time with certain scenes. Also, the whole blowjob scene where Chris's asking. No, actually, before I even get there, I will say with uh, John Travolta, I was like, how are you going to make him like going in the book? Which they don't really. Uh, he no. does slap her, I think, once. But,
1: yeah, but yeah, he's, he's too. He's Barbarino at that point. you yeah. can't really. It's hard to see Travolta as a villain in the as book. Bad he's just kind of a
3: doof but it's so weird because she's doing oral sex i don't even know um And at the same time having a full-on conversation with him and then says (laughs) carrie white and he's like who's carrie white and i'm just like this is such a weird scene so oh it's like a yes and no like i enjoyed aspects of it but i just i really think that they did sue snell dirty because there's just like no character development or motivation for her and yeah
1: I, I agree with you i think that the prom scene is what makes the the movie yeah and i honestly don't think it's a it's a particularly great adaptation of the book i think the book and the movie stand up in there like stand as two separate things okay and if you look at it that way that the movie it's kind of like jaws is a great comparison or the shining let's talk about the shining because it's a stephen king book stanley kubrick's adaptation of the shining is not a good adaptation of the shining true but it's still a good movie and that's how i look at Brian De Palma's Carrie it's okay. still it's not as good as The Shining but it is, it is it it is a interpretation of it I guess if you want to use the technical term I think there's a couple of things that are slightly better in the movie than are book I think that the prom scene in the movie works better a little bit better than the book because in the book she's outside right and She's watching this from outside and she's having the thing happen and she blows up the school and everything. I like the way it's staged in the movie better. And I think that's a smart decision on the director's part because it's way more cinematic having her in the building and doing it the way she does it so that was one of the few things that I was like, okay, this cause the end and the cause the ending of the movie, I'm like, you know what? She has the house collapsing on itself. I'm like, uh, I guess so. Um, she crucifies her mother. Basically there's, there's things that this is an over the top movie. And if you go in knowing that it's over the top, it is so seventies. Yeah. The, the music, the style the score you know the, the, the music that's used the score that's at the sum of the camera those kaleidoscopic camera shots and the split screen thing although I thought the split screen thing works very very well yeah because you're cause on one side of the screen you've got um it's CC SpaceX does the eyes incredibly well. Oh yeah Just she can both, look yeah. scary and she and then you have the thing happening and it's like doom do do it's overscored he is a little too fond of Psycho. And I'm like, please stop using the beat from the the, the screeching sound from Psycho all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't need a musical cue every time she turns her head. Like, there's things where I'm there. I'm like, I'm getting tired of the music, Brian. Stop. But I just, I love it. It's, it's cheesy in places. I'm just like, this is, it's a, it is not, it's not Psycho. It's nothing sophisticated or intellectual or a film with a capital F. It is a freaking popcorn horror movie, and I love it for that. If you go in knowing what you're getting and not expecting it to be anything cerebral and it's just this, it's kind of schlocky in places, I'm like, I'm here for it, and I really like it. And it also kind of, you can kind of see the beginning of some of the tropes of both teen comedy and uh, that we would see in the 80s and slasher films in the 80s, too. Yeah. Uh, in some of the scenes there. And I thought that was really, really well done. Um, the sets I thought were realistic looking, you know, that looked like a high school. Like when I flipped through old yearbooks, that looks like a high school in the seventies. And those girls look like high school girls to a certain extent. They're yeah. styled in that same way.
3: Yeah. I kind of wish I would have seen it. Yeah. I guess before I had read it. Yeah. Maybe.
1: <laughs> Sue's house. You're right about how Sue needed more character development. Yeah. She, she's not a terrible person in the movie she's just a little too one dimensional yeah. she like has a certain purpose and she serves that purpose and Amy Irving does everything she can with the material she's given they needed to give her more Sue's house by the way like I totally recognize that type of house from like the 70s and early 80s like I had friends who lived in that house you know like when they walk up to so, like, so this felt like a real place to me in mm-hmm. the same way that the novel did too but man, talk about the male gaze <laughs> oh, Yeah, I in, know. in both the scene in the shower scene and the car with Nancy Allen, who, by the way, I had first seen and I had seen Carrie before I saw RoboCop. But I remember her very much as as Detective um, Lewis in RoboCop, Murphy's sidekick. And then I had to go back to this. I'm like, oh, wow, she's this is the same Nancy Allen and there's the whole scene before she finally goes down on Travolta with her applying the lip gloss. De Palma wastes a lot of time in the movie. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of a lot of just unnecessary like he could have spent more time with some character beats and he just takes so long on certain scenes. And no, I don't know how she has a full-on conversation with him. And you can tell it's um, dubbed too. It's a pretty of bad dub. Of so course,
3: a little. Yeah. In fact,
1: it's it's in it's IMDB. It's it's uh it's it's listed as a goof. <laughs> it's oh, like, gosh! And like, but I could see him. It, 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 ADR. It's ADR. <sighs>
3: yeah, this next is, time when you're Anna. So I'm, a I'm gonna re, I'm gonna
1: rewrite the scene for you though. She, they're in the car. Yeah. And maybe she kisses him and says some of the lines, and it's between. The lines come between actions. So she's being, and he's just kind of, he's just kind of like laughing her off and everything. And she finally, and when she finally does the thing and it's quiet enough, let him enjoy himself and then say, okay, I'll do it. Like there's a way to stage that scene without having to have that really bad ADR. Yeah, yeah.
3: next time you're eating a banana yeah just try to why don't you go through all those uh those lines and see what they sound like or Uh, carrot
1: yeah i know like in past times richmond high (laughs) oh dear Um, yeah
3: it was kind of uh i mean that intro scene i was just i mean full even even i was like everything harry was like i feel uncomfortable but at least these actresses aren't aren't teenagers i'm like no, yeah that's no, they, they would yeah, have any eight. sort of high school scenes with naked naked people yeah. it's, like,
1: it's it's interesting i was thinking about that too because when i was if i was what if i was watching this at the age of 16 right 15 13 or like what middle school to early high school age i would have been like oh cool nudity in a movie and that's sort of like you know Horny teenage boy sort of way i'm watching this at 46 going like this is making me uncomfortable because these are people my kids age Yeah, <laughs> it's like I teach these girls. I should not be seeing there. The only thing about that too is um, because there's a lot of this movie and especially this book That you could you could plop it down in 2023 Tweak a couple of things and it, it still works, right? The shower scene does not because nobody showers in gym class anymore So you would have to figure out a way to do the gym locker rooms. Maybe she just gets it and she's bleeding in her underwear and she pulls it up. And I I see maybe they do that in the in the remake. I haven't seen the remake. But like you just have to adjust that scene so that they're that they're she's discovering it a different way other than being in the shower.
3: Yeah.
1: So because people don't shower in gym class anymore.
3: No. And then he like made it sensualized, And I don't think she did that until she got home.
1: Yeah, it's a really weird scene because it is like, again, he, if, maybe I think this is a trope of his, like, I haven't seen enough of his films, but I'm like, you are spending way too much time having her soap herself up to the point where, like, when she finally has the period and she comes at them with this horrific look in her eyes, like, ah, it's, it's like almost comical. Everybody else is dressed. Did you notice that?
3: Yeah. How long was she in the shower for? A long time. A long, long
1: time. Yeah. And um, I always crack up at who's in the movie, too, because did you notice that Edie McClurg, who is Rudy's secretary in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off... And oh yes. Is yeah. uh is Mrs. Poole in the Hogan family is one of the is one of the girls yep. in the gym class. She's the nerdy yeah. girl with the red hair. I was like, is that even Clerk? And of course PJ Souls in the yeah. in the in the hat and everything. And As yeah, someone but,
3: who really likes the original Halloween that that was like I think she's in Halloween. Yeah.
1: She's also in rock and roll high school. That's oh, her other big that's her other big uh big movie from the late seventies with the Ramones. So Yeah, no, I I just, I like it, like I said, as a period, as a, you said period piece, it kind of is. It's like, it's, 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 it's very much what it is. And if you go thinking in, okay, this is going to be a horror movie from the seventies that is, you know, you make a movie like this, you don't expect it to be rerun and dissected 50, almost 50 years later. Right. So you're making it very much. It's, you're making it. In 1976. Um, By the way. Fun fact. The auditions. For Carrie. And Star Wars. Were done simultaneously. Wow. And. PJ Souls. (gasps) Was up for Princess Leia. Whoa. I could see it. And William Catt was up for Luke Skywalker. And on some documentaries like empire dreams and and some of the other documentaries about star Wars, there is footage of William cat reading Luke Skywalker. Wow. And it's kind of funny to see it. Of course, William cat for those people in generation X who grew up in the eighties would go on to be the greatest American hero from the TV show, which is one of my favorite TV show when I was a little kid. So, you know, he's been in other things, but yeah. So I just, that's a little fun trivia, but yeah, it's, it's not a great movie. It's fun. There's things that are cringy. The nudity is cringy.
4: <laughs>
1: oh yeah. The I the Piper Laurie is Piper Laurie. From what I read, I was reading about the movie. Got through each take and burst out laughing. She was like, "This is almost comical," and she thought it was a dark comedy. So mm-hmm. she's so she's like she's like Faye Dunaway in Mommy Dearest, over the top, like you know, no wire hangers ever. She's like crazy eyes and stuff like that. And it's just, if, if you kind of lean into all of that and just he enjoy like it for what it is, some you'd like sort it.
3: sort of ecstasy at the end when she's getting shot. Oh. I will say when Carrie was in the prayer clause of the first time, I remarked to uh, Harry that the artist on the Jesus statue took some liberties because there were like random arrows in him. I'm like, that's not it.
1: I think that's supposed to be St. Sebastian.
3: Oh, uh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So let uh, well, me, I wonder and, why
3: that would be in the prayer closet. But I, I mean, obviously connected sure to, to all the... I'm sorry?
1: I think it's supposed to be St. Sebastian, not Jesus.
3: I see. That's an... Uh, I don't know why someone would do that. But the obvious neither connection neither. is because of all the, the, the points that she was stabbed. Uh, yeah. Connect with all the arrows that were in that particular statue.
1: Yeah. He is the patron of arrows and... yeah. Looking.
3: Why would you choose that particular person over Jesus?
1: I don't know, but if you look up Saint Sebastian, you look at the imagery. There's a lot of like statues and pictures and paintings of him with a bunch of arrows in himself. So
3: it's probably um, because of. um, I guess maybe the director knew how he wanted it to end, so yeah, that connection.
1: With the creepy glowing eyes, though.
3: It's uh, yeah, that's a lot.
1: Yeah, it's it's. Again, go into this thinking this is over the top Yeah. and you're going to get you're going to get a good movie. The prom scene is iconic, though, and rightfully so.
3: I will say because I never talked about it. But if you're looking for a great adaptation that is wholesome and heartwarming and also funny, I highly recommend um, Are You There, God, It's Me,
1: Margaret. Oh, OK,
3: it was so good.
1: Oh, cool. I, have to, yeah. I haven't seen it yet.
3: And it had a really great ending, kind of like what you and I talked about, of like what, what could we see in the future with this friendship group? And so they kind of discussed that. But, yeah, I hi, this is like for our listeners too. Like I highly recommend that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, Anything else on the movie? No. Um, I recommend seeing the movie if you've never seen it, just, just to say you've seen the movie. Yeah. Um, this would be a movie that I saw um, – I was saying that I watched it um, over and over. I've only seen it all the way through a few times, but I've seen the prom scene and afterwards several, several times because it would be one of those movies that I'd be flipping through channels and I'd come across it somewhere on cable. And if I hit it right before the prom scene, I just watched it to the end. Kind of like if you hit the karate kid, like right before the tournament, you watch the movie to the end or a certain point of the shining where like, it, you know, if he's got the bat in his hand, it's like, yeah, I'll watch the rest of the movie. Or if any point, in bring it on, and I'll watch the rest of Bring It On. Yeah. But but yeah, it's, so I've seen the prom scene and the end of the movie way more times than I've actually seen the entire movie. And I think that's the case with a lot of movies like that. But yeah, I would recommend it as and such. You
3: watch Carrie 2, The Rage.
1: So, yeah, so that movie... So in the summer of 98, I interned at a publishing house in New York city and I was in the editorial department working at some for an, as an assistant for somebody. They gave me two screenplays and said, is there any and asked me what I thought of them? And was there any potential for some sort of tie in to the, the, the screenplay? One of them was a screenplay called like, Dallas Milkmaids or Milkmaids or something, and it became the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous with Denise Richards. And the screenplay was very funny, but I was like, I don't see how we could, how you could make anything like a book out of this. And then the other one was The Rage Carrie Two, and so I read the screenplay for Carrie Two, and I was like. I just kind of like, I was like, I turned it back to the guy, the person who was, I was working for at that point was like, what do you think? I was like, I told him about the drop dead gorgeous screenplay is Like, yeah. He's like, I thought it was funny too, but I just didn't see anything. What about this? I said, this isn't really a good screenplay. he was like, yeah, I said anything. I was like, maybe like one of those novelizations or something, but I don't think they ever published that. Um, I did eventually see it. It's got one of the London brothers in it, like Jason or Jeremy, right? Plays the girl. It's got its moments from what I remember. It has something to do with a a, a tattoo or something on her arms that grows all over. Stella, I haven't seen this movie since like 1999, 2000. So forgive me for misremembering. I do remember that it was this whole like, she was the... It wasn't a pig's blood thing. She was the victim of like these guys were like the popular jock guys were taking bets on who they could nail. And she was like the prize. And he and they taped them having sex and they broadcast the tape on all these TVs at this rich kid's house at a party. And that's where she loses it and kills everybody at the party to the point where like Sue Snell is in the movie and is trying to help her and she gets killed running to the party to help. And she gets like a harpoon through the eye when she looks through the when she shows up, it goes through like the 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 eye, the 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 thing you look the door eye on the on oh. the door. I, I remember that. Scene for... have looked through. Yeah, like the thing that you look through the inside to see who's at your door. Oh. And she's like on the other side and the thing goes right through there and just spears her.
3: Oh, poor Sue.
1: Kind of like how Scatman Crothers gets into The Shining. like She done dirty. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally done dirty. Yeah, it's, it's not a good movie. Do you remember anything about it?
3: I don't. I kind of have a sick fascination to rewatch it now, though.
1: Yeah, me too. Sometimes I really like watching crappy movies like that.
3: Yeah. Just, just, just like do just, something else.
1: Yeah, just or for the fun of it, because like you can find a value in it. There are certain sequels to movies where I'm like, this movie is terrible, but why am I watching it? Because I just like it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll get that. So all right, so um, we do have a little bit of feedback. Um, there was a there was a comment that was left in the I'm on our Facebook page in the uh, Call Me by Your Name episode about. The something I was talking about about the shame or something after the peach scene, I think it was.
3: Well, well, I asked. Give me some context here. Yeah, yeah. So I asked about, you know. Uh, The guilt that I mean, we we I suppose discussed this because I said the simple answer is internalized homophobia in the last episode, but yeah, I was just asking, is it like that thing that guys get after they masturbate? And then I was like, what is that called? And then you looked it up and gave like a clinical term, and I was like. That's not what I'm looking for, but I couldn't remember what it was. Couldn't text Donovan quick enough. And so we got our answer, though. Well, because Donovan's the one who's told me what it was called. And so when I saw him and Harry uh, in August, I was like, what's that thing called? And then he told me. I was like, oh, yes, that's right.
1: Yeah, So. so he sent us a link to the Urban Dictionary. It's called... For for a trigger warning, content warning. This is going to get a little vulgar. Post nut clarity. There you go. The feeling of lucidity a man gets after he has been beating it. This feeling gets worse with the weirder the, the weirder shit a man has been jerking off to.
3: And general guilt and shame surrounding it.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think when we were talking about this off air, um, I never referred to it as this, but the, the idea that there would be shame around masturbation is something that, um, I think many generations of, of young men, um, and even men have, have grown up with, um, due to culture, religion or whatever. So, uh, it's another long conversation for another time. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: So, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's our feedback.
3: Thank you for reminding <laughs> yes. me what it was called.
1: Yes. So, Yes, thank you very much. But yeah, that's about it. Was that it? That was it.
3: Okay. Oh, and then someone said that they saw your name in the anime, which I yeah. highly recommend. Uh-huh, cool. Okay, well, Tom, uh, looks like you're up next. What do you have for first?
1: Uh, yeah, so we're going to stay in New England, but we're going in a totally different direction. We're getting philosophical. Oh, dear. Environmental. We're going Envi- back to uh, nature. Uh,
3: Silent Springs. No. Okay. Walden oh my heavens by
1: Henry David Thoreau
3: yo have you read this
1: a couple times yes okay so yeah so I thought I've, it's, it's been on my list I'm like i have been meaning to reread this so I let's let's take a little track there and we'll see what we'll see what we think about it so that's oh. that's for next time in the meantime you can give us all of our uh usual feedback the non-portographic type perhaps um, at the usual places and as always thank you very much for listening and take care
3: yeah and you know be kind to people my gosh yes, yes. and if you as if there are any females who listen to this show because I don't think so it seems like we have a primarily male audience for some reason you know if someone has bled through their pants please approach them in a gentle and kind manner and let them know because people just like if you spot something in someone's teeth people don't tend to tell you but this is like even worse so you know help help a sister out yeah
1: <laughs> good night
3: good night thanks for listening to required reading with tom and stella which is brought to you by two true freaks that's two true freaks if you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode follow us on facebook at facebook.com
1: If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. We will read every email we get on future episodes.
3: We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review in iTunes? Thanks again for listening, and come back next month for our next episode.
0: your head and pray, woman, and God made Eve from the rib of Adam, and Eve was weak and loosed the raven on the world, Mama, it and the raven fault. was called sin, and God visited Eve with a curse, and the curse was the curse of blood. Say it, woman, and God made Eve from Adam's rib, and Eve was weak, Mama, how and Eve could was no. And Eve was weak. Why didn't you tell me? And God made Eve to bear the curse, the curse of blood. It's not a curse. Miss Gardner said it's something all girls go through. The curse of blood. You should have told me! You're a woman now. Pray to heaven for your wicked soul. Raven came to plague the world. Its name was sin. It's not a sin. Its name was sin. Oh, mama, it's Its not name a was sin, sin. Begin. And lust was how the sin began. The sin was man. I don't understand. Well, understand. No. The sin was man. What have I God done? God has seen your sinning just beginning. Pray for your salvation from damnation. Pray for me. And it's come again. Mama, what is this? It's seed? come again. Don't get It's care come again. again to until bleed? the seed is crushed, the power never ends. It never ends. It never ends. Mama, I was so scared, and they all stared. Then I started crying. I thought I was dying. Mama. please don't Have you no sense of shame? Pray for mercy and down on your knees. My soul is a hole of disease. I can see you inside. Don't believe with your Full eyes. of sin, full of pride. Lies, mama lies. That's how Lucifer fell, mama. How could I know? And you're headed for hell. Mama, I won't let, let you go. go. Heaven hates a sinner, Hate and a I'm sinner. Save yourself from burning, burning. thought she's burning. burning. Eve was weak, and Eve was weak, and I was weak. I prayed this day would never come. I should have known. I should have known. Now I'm alone and so afraid. Oh, Lord, I've seen this power before. The flesh is weak, and I implore, Brother, don't forsake her. Father, take her. Cleanse and purify her with the fire and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever.